Welcome into the Level Up Experience. This is episode number 37. I've got Andrew Prell and Jared Busby from Convergence of Four Dimensions and the Silicon Nexus Project. We're discussing how the virtual reality space has evolved from the 90s, how the Silicon Nexus ecosystem is setting to create a digital economy, the emergence and the future of NFTs, run for the Unicorns FinTech event in September, and we answer live questions and comments. Just want to thank everyone for the five-star ratings and reviews. Hope you enjoy the podcast. This is a previously recorded YouTube live stream. The links to the Level Up Experience YouTube channel will be in the description. To go ahead and get started, um, Andrew, I'm going to start with yourself, catch everybody up to speed about yourself, a little bit about your background in the gaming industry, um, and then Jared will follow up with you. Um, so yeah, I've been writing games since I was 12. Um, that was just like three years ago, if you can't tell. Uh, <laughs> and yeah. um, in 92... Well, I've been working in virtual reality since 1988 with Autodesk. They got me into virtual reality and I uh, became addicted to uh, both VR and um, bleeding edge technology ever since. Uh, in 1992, I created the first U.S. manufactured virtual reality arcade system, second one in the world uh, to W Industries out of England, uh, their virtuality system. Um, and I kind of got famous because I, I'm the guy that... I'm the guy that created a Wolfenstein VR from Carmack's uh, Wolfenstein 3D source code. I'm the first person to ever get that out of id software. So, um, yeah. And that's kind of my background and how long I've been in the, uh, in the space. What year was Wolfenstein? Just real quick. 92. <laughs> 92. I mean, I got, like literally, you know, right as he was, uh, they were testing it. I saw what it was. I knew exactly what it would do to, for VR. Hmm. Very interesting. Uh, so we're going to dive a lot more into it here in a minute, but Jared, can you go ahead and give a couple minutes about yourself as well? Yeah, I'm the social media community manager for Convergence. I uh, got on the blockchain space about 2017, just d did everything in my spare time, learned everything I could about it and marketing. And I learned a lot about marketing it as well. And that's how I got into Convergence. Um, video games, you know, I've always grown up loving them. I, when I was a kid, I would make video game stories and video game designs and always dreamed of working for a video game company. So this is kind of a dream come true. Very cool. And Jared, you were a guest a couple weeks ago with Tom. Uh, mm -hmm. Shout out to Tom if he's listening. Uh, Tom uh, went through kind of, uh, you know, he had, he had a book that was released, I believe, six, seven years ago, talking about the the idea of Run Ready Player One. And um, actually, I started reading that book. I haven't finished it, Tom, but I've, I've started. So, <laughs> And Andrew, you did the forward in that? Uh, I believe it did. Yes, it's uh, it's very <laughs> interesting. It was a very interesting book. Um, it's kind of what uh, you know, Tom worked for me at the company Alternate Worlds Technology, where we did Wolfenstein VR, um, and you know a lot of what we were contemplating and trying to build and dreaming about, and um, is what's really come come to fruition uh, over the years. So we've kind of been working towards our current project since roughly, you know, 92, whether we knew it or not on, in different aspects. Yeah. I want to, I really want to dive into the to Silicon Nexus and the, the ecosystem. We talked a little bit about it a couple weeks ago, but uh, Angel, I want to get your take on a few things on it, but do you want to do a couple of shout outs? Uh, just thank you all so much for being on the live stream. Uh, make sure to smash that like button at the very bottom there if you haven't done that already. Thank you all for letting us know that you're here. Uh, Matthew's already jumped in saying, amazing to see how far VR has come since then. So any thoughts on that? Um, yeah, I mean, it, it is amazing to see how far it has come and also um, how how much it hasn't changed <laughs> as well. Uh, people, people wouldn't believe some of the things that we were dealing with back in in. 92 through 95 that are very, very similar to today. Now, obviously, the resolution's gone way up. The frame rates have gone way up. But uh, it, we had figured out a lot of the problems back then that got rid of vertigo that people are having to relearn today. So, And, then, yeah, I guess what – I don't know, just kind of looking at it as a whole – why? What has stopped the, the the space from? What has been some of the, the the pitfalls? I guess like why hasn't some of the innovation continued at that? I don't know the exponential level because it's been going back to what ninety two you said, right? So I guess what is 
just been in your experience? Um, I'm the, I will not give the politically correct answer. Okay. I'm, I, I was there. I lived it. Um, mm-hmm. and I'll, I'll just tell you the way I saw it. Uh, we grew, we grew exponentially fast and so did, uh, virtuality. We, we grew way too fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, basically cut a deal with time Warner interactive that got our company got very, you know, internally greedy. And that pretty much, uh, blew us up. Um, really long, deep, ugly story there. Sure. At the same time, virtuality, uh, blew up as well. And, when the two top companies uh, tank in a really bad way, and I won't go into too many specifics there, sure. uh, that um, that hurt the whole industry. Okay, kind of. so and, kind of kind of halted innovation. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you got uh, when you got the ones that were making the money. I mean, because we we were making money hand over fist. There's no question about that. Um, we were making money hand, hand over fist, and then the internal squabble in our company um, got into a legal battle um, where it took me three years to put put uh, kind of the culprit in prison <laughs> over mm-hmm. it. But by that time, it was too late. And mm-hmm. um, so we cra- crashed and burned in that time, taking down a lot of investors with us, uh, unfortunately, that shouldn't have had to happen. And um, virtuality did a similar thing um, at the exact same time. So the, the two companies that were making the most money running forward, and I'm not talking about any of the uh, companies that got swallowed by um, uh, by uh, the military and that all of those just kind of disappeared from, from the consumer industry and went into to the military complex. Um, but... Uh, yeah, when when all of the all of the excitement got got kind of the wind pulled out of it um, from that, and so none of the money uh, or all the money stopped flowing in, and that hurt innovation massively because people were trying to build really great stuff and could have uh, because it was such a novelty. The big difference between then and now is we did not have uh, the industry as a whole did not have any kind of competition like it has today. And what I mean by that is we took Wolfenstein 3D. And if you get in a head mount display and play Wolfenstein 3D today, it is fun as a game. But when you compare it to World of Warcraft or a $400 million game or or you know, any of these top AAA games today, um, the consumer expectations are way, way up here. Back then, there was no consumer expectation. So you give them something new and different, or they were on it. So we had that massive advantage for us, and that lit a you know lit a rocket ship, and we were we were going off to the moon. But as soon as all that money got pulled out from from development, um, it was kind of hard to keep the industry going. Yeah, so, I, I, yeah, and I want to go another direction with this too, because we already talked about it already, and you mentioned it. But some the kind of the conversation, I don't know, the last what five years plus maybe is that like the innovation is dead. You have a lot of people saying that and how like, wow. I mean, World of Warcraft, I mean, what's it 15 years ago? Uh, you talk about when you're talking about uh, vanilla and then uh, burning crusade expansion right on that, that phase. I mean, it was so far ahead of its time at that, at the particular juncture. And then, but in 15 years, what else, what has bested? Wow. And as, as far as that immersive experience, right. A lot of people ask that it's been over 15 years, right. Or right around 15 years. So, I guess talk about that. 2004. So yeah, yeah right. So we're looking um, at 15. You go ahead. Well, that uh, see the the problem the, the problem there is several things I think that have outdone WoW. Like World of Tanks has outdone WoW as far mm-hmm. as number of users, but uh, and and revenue expectations. But they're looked at completely differently um, right now. The, the problem was you know Activision even came out. Uh, um, and said you know, publicly that the, the 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 wow killer would be a, a billion dollars or more or half billion dollars to create, which if somebody got that wrong would be a studio killer. Mm. You know, instead of killing the wow, it would kill the people who tried to try to do it. So it's like nobody really wanted to 
there was so much money or there is so much money into those top end AAA games <coughs> that um, to risk your career and your company on making a mistake, everybody said, hey, this is working. Let's just keep doing that, which was something that um, did stifle a lot of the innovation when when uh, Tom and I, you know, because how we got really deep into this project was in 2014, when Facebook bought Oculus. You know, you had four billion dollars get injected into VR. Nobody's ever made four million dollars out of VR. <laughs> you know, that was that was a massive injection then. So we were like, okay, things are turning back around here. Um, so I kind of lost lost uh, my train uh, uh, direction. What was where where were we going with that, Chris? Yeah, just about like I guess innovation, and then also how you know one of the narratives too is that look, a lot of these companies are publicly traded, and and investors look for expectations each quarter. You have those expectations, right? And you're talking about the risk of stepping out and you know dropping a billion dollars on on on, in, on an innovative idea and a new just a new way, a new type of game, right? And the risk associated with that could bring down a company. So that's the other right. narrative. So go ahead. So you kind of led to that. Yeah, exactly. So you know, when, when Facebook put that much money into VR, we felt like it was time to analyze what was going on in the in the uh, ecosystem. Mm -hmm. um, and so we, we just dove right in and did a lot of research and got other people to help us do a good amount of research. And what we found um, was the trend. It really boiled down to a couple factors. But the biggest one that stuck out to me was Everybody said in their own way, there's not been any innovation since World of Warcraft. Everything is just new, you know, new, repackaged, repackaged mm. old stuff mm -hmm. um, in all the games. But when, you know, when I say there's not been any innovation since World of Warcraft, it's like if you take a snapshot in time of roughly uh, 2004 till about 2008, you know, all the all the top games of today or a variation of, you know, something under a different name now came out in that time frame. Mm -hmm. What 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 version of Grand Theft Auto are we on right now? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No one knows. <laughs> yeah, right. exactly. And, so, yeah. you know, it's really time to it was really time to go and look at the the, the problem and uh, and see what killed all the innovation and what it turned into really is these companies are, are making so much money, the people making the decision on what, what should we risk and what shouldn't we risk on something new um, kind of had that taken away from them. Cause it's like, mm -hmm. you know, your job is on the line if you risk something new here. <laughs> yeah, it, well, it, like you said, investor money is on the line. And, and again, going back to those expectations. Yeah. So, Jerry, I don't know if you had a kind of some thoughts on this as well to kind of chime into. Oh, what it reminds me of is just the big movie studios. And like you think about the movie Cats, they spent so much money on that movie Cats, all this CGI and, and all these famous actors, and it bombed. I mean, it's an, the movie's a total embarrassment and a total flop. And I mean, that's the sort of bomb and embarrassment that can take out big industry, you know, or at least John Carter. The movie yeah. John Carter. I mean, not the guy. I actually know a John Carter, but <laughs> <laughs> they spent uh, what two hundred million dollars making that movie, and it and it never came close to to paying for itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and here, here we're talking about, you know, we're, we're talking about a billion dollars for for a company and the only ones that are really doing truly innovative things are the the small startups that can't get enough money to compete with the with a 200 300 500 million dollar projects um so that's kind of where we you know figured out how we could engineer our way around that and use a game ecosystem to do that you know, as I told, I had a, I gave a talk at uh, Bellarmine University, um, and and you got to a point where I said, so we were a bunch of engineers. We looked at this as as a problem, and so we just invented money. <laughs> and they, mm -hmm. they laughed. And then when you start looking at the crypto, it's like, yeah, 
they invented money <laughs> to do that. And the way I say that is we looked at the problem and said, well, video games and video game ecosystems um, throughout our lifetime, everyone that got to a, a critical mass had a virtual currency. And that virtual currency had real world value. So could we get developers to create content for this massive ecosystem, which is what it, what it will take to build what we're going after here, is not just one game, one killer game, is thousands of really good top games coming into this and all linking together. Could we get people to build content for this ecosystem of, in exchange for the virtual currency from the game or from Correct. the ecosystem. And Correct. we went to um, 2015, we went to Seagraph uh, um, and we set up a booth. It was Tom, me, Rob, um, and I think we had one other. I'm trying to think who was with us. And set up the booth. We had, we had a flyer. We actually had, we'll get a, picture of that we had this this flyer right here <laughs> <laughs> had a bunch of them that pretty much said, oh that's upside down so i can't even do it right um <laughs> it was basically the 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 typical indie developer against the silica nexus developer race cycle you know and mm -hmm. how they compared to each other mm -hmm. um and we talked to 250 independent development teams and 140, uh, like 147, 148 signed up on the spot because they like this idea of of this joint marketing effort, being able to have their their uh, labor into here uh, paid for, even if their stuff was a flop, they still got paid at least for the development part of working on it. And if their stuff took off, then they got an extra benefit. That makes sense. So basically creating a, a digital economy. 100%. Yeah. 100%. Okay. And for those that may not um, have studied or a little bit on digital economies, like what exactly is a digital economy? Well, um, listen, one of the things that we modeled after was the Xbox economy. <laughs> I think the Xbox is just Microsoft, right? But it's much more than that. Microsoft tried to break into the console market five times and on the fifth time they they got um uh kevin backus to go around with a big pile of microsoft money i like to envision him running around with a satchel full of money <laughs> and just start throwing it and basically investing in and acquiring the rights to hundreds of of titles that he thought were worthy, okay, that needed to break into the ecosystem. Now, keep in mind, at that juncture in time, um, the PlayStation had just kicked out of the console economy, both Sega and Nintendo, okay? They owned it, and Microsoft was going to power their way in there. Um, so Kevin went around, and had he not found um halo the quite you know the xbox probably wouldn't have made it made it in there would make not might not have had survived it needed the the power of of halo to and halo's new networking because i mean that was i think the very first console game that was multiplayer across the network halo 2 across xbox live yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah it was yeah, that really explode like that Right. Um, and then with the network effect of Halo bringing in whatever it was, I think uh, 24 million players initially bought the Xbox just to play Halo. You, you had millions of players that would go pick up other games as well because they had a whole Xbox. You know, I'm going to play Halo, you know, 20 hours a day. So for the other four hours, I'll sleep an hour and then maybe play these other three games. <laughs> yeah. It takes it back to college. It takes it back to college. Yeah, there you go. And then you got 15 minutes to get schoolwork in, right? Yeah, of course, of course, of course. Going there every class, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so, so anyway, we modeled after that because, you know, 
we we're we're looking to get all this other content to come into our new Xbox because I like to look at our Silicon Nexus project as taking that Xbox ecosystem and expanding it to include everything else, like you know all consoles, all um, mobile, you know cell phones and tablets, you know PCs, then arcades. Then location-based entertainment, which is like a Dave and Buster's or Chuck E. Cheese or Time Zone, um, and also theme parks. All of those things that have have uh, a digital footprint or digital networking possibilities to be able to allow them to communicate together. Um, the technology part of that is straightforward and simple today. The game theory part of it is not. So you not only need the blind device communication theory that I came up with uh, back in 92 to make, uh, I, I took Wolfenstein 3D and the first thing I did with it was I made it multiplayer using this blind device communication theory stuff I came up with. But you have to um, take that and marry it to um, contextual based interfaces for today's technology. Because back then computers were pretty much all identical. So you only had to worry about that. Now, you know, a cell phone is way different from a PC, which is way different from an arcade machine, which is way different from a $20 million simulator in a theme park. But nothing is stopping them from communicating with each other. So now you just have to worry about the context of the hardware, what it can do, what makes the cell phone different, how to take full advantage of a cell phone for that interface and full advantage of the simulator for that interface. And that's what we're, we're bringing all this stuff together. And that's, you know, one of the massive pieces of innovation that we're doing here. Yeah. I want to, I definitely want to dive deeper. I want to get Jared's thoughts on, we talked about NFTs a couple weeks ago for a little bit, but I do want to have more of a conversation around that. Uh, before, before we do that, I want to jump on LinkedIn. There's a couple posts I want to throw up here real quick. Uh, Matthew jumped in again. Matthew says, I can't wait to play a game that has a popularity of wow, but a marketability currency built with blockchain. How long do you think it will be before we see something like that hit scale? I'll jump in on that. I think it's within five years or less. I don't think we're very far from that. Um, a project like us could easily make a game hit that scale very quickly. Um, there are some improvements in blockchain technology that need to happen. Things need to be faster. Um, however, with what we're doing with Silicon Nexus, we can make it so speed isn't so much of a problem. Just make it so the game reads the NFT is in your Silicon Nexus trade binder. And that's all you have to do. You don't have to ever even send it out of the trade binder. So that will take out a lot of the speed issues. Um, yeah, because one of the sorry, one of the drawbacks was you know for some of the jargon is that on chain games are clunky, they're slow, they're not intuitive, right? I mean that's kind of the mainstream idea of it or thoughts around it. What to compound what, what Jared was saying there is, um, and not really well. I guess I am blowing our own horn here. If the when the Silicon Nexus project is fully successful, um, we'll have that within within. I'll give it two years, and I'm thinking that's on the outside. Because the other thing we're doing, well, the things that we're doing, is very, very, very appealing to the AAA game community, um, and require the blockchain. The, the other thing do, it's something that that appeals to their um, their business sense, and if we can break that barrier, because currently in the current situation, um, the AAA games are like, you know, we're making money hand over fist now. You know, just grew forty percent over the last three months for some reason. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, why? Why would we ever want to look at the blockchain and let let people trade our items with other people's items. You have to give them a reason that that makes business sense. And if they don't do it, their competitors are going to do it. Uh, so they're going to fall behind and we have that reason for them. That's what our player acquisition engine is all about. 
And then and real the quick, from, thing is oh, yeah, go, go ahead, Jared, go ahead, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say a lot of these blockchain games have all these transactions happening in game, but the, but. Oh, we lost. We lost Jared. I didn't hear enough of his, of his comment to figure out what were you saying, Jared? We'd lost you there for a bit. Oh, okay. Some of these blockchain games, um, you, you have to keep to do anything in the game. You have to use the blockchain. Like there's a transaction almost every five minutes of some sorts and that'll keep players away. But if, you know, if it's more of a linking system, between say our wallet in the game and less in-game transactions, that'll also help a lot. You know, if transactions. So there's, there's it's not a blockchain okay. game transaction. Let me be clear: there could be in-game transactions, but if they're constantly going over the Ether network, that could be a problem. So because it takes time we'll for those maybe yeah. on the surface level, that, that's yeah, going to create a video problem. games, video games like World of Warcraft and um, Eve Online, and those kind of games have figured out how to do transactions inside the game um, at scale, at speed. You know, they've got we, we figured out our own black magic over the last 20 years to make that happen. Um, the blockchain is not designed like that at all is not really built for speed and scale, but what it is built for is security. And, and because of non-fungible tokens, because they're secure and everybody can see how, every developer can see how they're secure, now we can um, open up the, the conversation on, let your video game items get checked in and out of your game, trade it out here, um, amongst themselves, amongst other games in in the ether, you know, in the um, I was going to say ether, but you know, <laughs> right, out, you know, out outside of the game, and um, you'll get a massive benefit from that. As long as we can give them the business case of the benefit for player acquisition, um, then we can start. Then that's a discussion that they'll listen to because more than more than fifty percent of all video games budgets go to either player acquisition or player retention. And if we can reduce that to like nothing, then they can use more of that money for the development or um, enhancing that marketing, then that catches their attention. And that's well, that's what we're doing. I mean, that's what our player acquisition does is, um, you know, we, we use the, the case study of, um, of, of, uh, Machine Zones, uh, Game of War, Fire Age. It's a cell phone game. It cost them maybe two hundred thousand dollars to produce. Mm-hmm. It cost them over forty-four million dollars to turn it into one of the top sellers. That's ninety-nine point five percent player acquisition cost. Now, if we can take that ninety-nine point five percent off the table for them and use items from their video game to attract that many players in, you know, some of the other stuff that we do, you know, that's what our player acquisition engine is designed for is to tap into the 500 million players. Um, there were trading, uh, trading in out of home entertainment, trading tickets for prizes that suck, give them prizes that don't suck. You tap into that 500 million players a month. Then mm-hmm. we have a real discussion here. Then we have a real business opportunity for them to take, you know, take that money, put it towards profit or put it towards more, more and better development um, and build bigger, better things. That's what we're, we're all about. Gotcha. So for those who may not know, you know, it, say you have a, a skin in CSGO and it's, it's, so it's your skin air quotes. No, it's not. That's not your skin. Right. That, you, you know what I'm saying? So like when people hear like, Oh, well, that makes sense. Right. Like there, it's, there's, with the blockchain, you have the immutability where it d- doesn't change. Like if it's if you have that historical record, that ledger of that's my item, I own it, right? So talk a little bit about that and why that brings value to to an ecosystem. Jared, you want to take that one? Yeah, I'll take that one. There's a lot of reasons that brings value to an ecosystem. Uh, one thing you're not relying on it being stored on a video game server or you know. 
or even in all and when it's not on the video game server, you're not at the mercy of the whims of a video game company. Um, I think about the guy who was uh, protesting about Hong Kong being invaded by China, um, and he got in some trouble with um, Blizzard for doing that. You know, so but instead, it's literally in your blockchain wallet. You own it. No, you know, and that's all there is to it. You know, it's under your private keys. So it gives you rat. So it really gives the player ownership. Um, the other thing it allows is if a game, if another video game site, you know what, we will accept that item as well. You could, you can have sharing and partnership between all these games um, or even, let's well, let me, say. Let me jump in right there. One of, one of yeah. our partners, Ether Legends, has done that. Several different games that have, uh, for whatever reason, they were decent, good games, blockchain games, but their management team um, went away. You know, the company the company dissolved and went away. Well, Ether Legends was like, they've got, you know, 5,000 players out there. We'll let them take those non-fungible tokens they own and we'll turn them into cards for them in Ether Legends for them to play with. So they can, you can basically bind those non-fungible tokens with Ether Legends cards and have a totally new um, a new use for your NFT. And they don't they don't do it with only um, you know defunct games. They're doing it with actual you know live games as well. So your your item has one use over here in Ether Legends and another use in the game it was made for. So there's all kinds of cool, crazy things that these developers come up with when you unleash them like this, you know, cause I'm a, I'm a game purist. I think that, uh, you know, a world of Warcraft battle ax doesn't belong in star Wars and a star Wars lightsaber doesn't belong in, in uh, world of Warcraft. However, there's some people doing some really cool stuff with that where they come up with this. Okay. Like, like a predators versus aliens game, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff or, or, um, uh, Marvel versus DC universe uh, kind of thing. They let that stuff get all mixed up, um, and you come out with something new and unique that's just cool that everybody loves and gets passionate about. But you know, again, I'm the I'm the purist. Uh, but the first thing I did was make this uh, or design Sarah, which allows for everybody's different video game items as non fungible tokens to come into our game. And I'm like, oh yeah, I did kind of cross my own boundary there. <laughs> yeah, explain. So yeah, explain the Sarah concept and what that's about. But basically, you bring in the, all the NFTs where they have value, and then you're well, able to exchange. We we looked at the uh, the, the uh, when we started thinking about Sarah, we start we we looked at many different games. One of them that stood out to us was Ingress, um, that were cell phone games, and we designed what. Um, you know, back in 2015, so well before Pokemon Go, we we designed what I'll call, you know, Pokemon Go with a purpose. <laughs> yeah. um, not that Pokemon Go doesn't have its own purpose. Sure, sure, sure. But uh, basically, uh, you battle different different things in in very similar ways. There, you have you have local skirmishes, but you also have game quests. Game quests driving you to physical locations in the real world. So think like. A game quest would drive you in World of Warcraft, you know, to another town or, or back over here and, and kill all these rats and bring their pelts back, you know, that kind of stuff. Well, here, you know, we can we can send you on like a scavenger hunt, a physical one where you're walking around your neighborhood, you're going to the local store kind of thing or, or whatever, and you end up, um, you might end up at like uh, a Laser Blaze or Chuck E. Cheese or Dave and Buster's. And there is your final big boss, your final big battle that once you crush that, you get your your magical sword or your piece of bubble gum. You know, the thing that that made you do this crazy quest, you know, the um, the, the ultimate thing that you really, really wanted. Um, so you get there and you, you complete that quest. Well, then maybe Dave and Buster's thanks you for protecting their location with with. Um, a free game, you know, a free ride in their new new simulator or their new game or a free Coke or a free dessert, something like that, um, because you're already there. 
So we can physically drive people to, to locations that make sense for them um, at that time and get them engaged in other things. We, uh, um, one, one of our people's really into um, social good and that, so she wants to use it to drive teenagers to, to physical events that other nonprofits have just so they can get there when it starts <laughs> and mm. they get engaged with that, with that nonprofits event, you know, um, because that's one of the big things she dealt with a lot of nonprofits and, and being able, because you can't put it up on meetup if they're under 18, mm. um, you know, it's a marketing's a really hard thing for everybody, but especially with nonprofits to the under 18 crowd. So using something like a game with game mechanics that gets them, over there at a specific time gives them a, a you know a nice carrot or a nice uh, reward for doing that um we i spun that back around to her and i was like well what happens if they show up there they get their carrot and they just leave she's like that's fine as long as they figured out that those events were happening and what it was that was a big win for her Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the end goal is to actually get them engaged with whatever that event is when we're passing the baton, so to speak. Uh, and we've got ways of doing that with game mechanics as well. Um, but that's what Sarah is all about, is, um, you know, being able to drive, physically drive people in the real world through through quests and get them engaged with other real world uh, events as well. So kind of creating a, a virtual experience layered on top of a physical experience. Yes, or using a virtual experience to engage them with a physical experience. I mean, more people lost weight during the peak of, of uh, uh, Pokemon Go than uh, I think any other game out there, including Dance Dance Re- Revolution, which was amazing at how well it uh, had people lose weight. <laughs> just because they're walking around more than they would before you know get get the um, that's one thing that uh, that I've noticed throughout the the decades my decades of gaming is um, a lot of my gaming friends started out really fit and physical and then end up uh, obese because they just game all the time and they don't get up mm-hmm. from the couch and mm-hmm. I like uh, the idea of the cell phone being able to use to get people, um, active and moving. And, and now you get a lot more of that uh, um, exercise with gaming that that works very well. So yeah, I've had a couple of conversations uh, surrounding esports and VR and some of the projects that have been built over the past couple of years. And that's not going to stop. And that momentum is really fun. That's really fun and exciting to me is, is the active uh, cross reality uh, experiences and sports, you know, esports can be able to play. Um, and I, and some of the technology is really, really cool. Like dodgeball, like digital dodgeball, where your fireballs flying at you at the put your shield and stuff like that. Like that stuff exists right now. Let's put really together. Cool. Let's put together. This is something in, I kid you not in, uh, 90, 94, I uh, had several conversations with people about having a, a virtual reality Olympics. Mm-hmm. We create everything in like the winter Olympics or everything in the summer Olympics with a virtual reality thing. And, you know, like the the you've got the 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 stationary bikes that are doing all the VR stuff. You've got the, the treadmills. You've got uh, you know rowing machines. You've got everything that you could ever use in the Olympics um, in VR. And we could have a worldwide competition where everybody doesn't have to travel to the same space, but we could have winners. <laughs> and I, I I think it's closer than people understand. Oh yeah, something like that's very really it's the organization of it. Quite frankly. Um, and then as, as far as, as far as like, you've seen how far Oculus has come, uh, with their ecosystem, uh, and then just putting it all together. So. Oh, exactly. Exactly. It, it's, it's just, let's get, let's get together, um, a, a true virtual reality Olympics. <laughs> That'd be awesome. Yeah. Be a part of that. Uh, yeah. So we'll grab a couple of questions. Uh, you know, we got another 15 minutes or so, so feel free to jump in. We, I'd really like to get, uh, more questions and comments from you guys. Uh, David jumped in. How you doing, man? Uh, good to hear from you. I think there have been rare certain certain studios who have been willing to take the risk on a major project and successes like Half-Life Alex are, are paying off currently. Uh, what are your all's thoughts? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's been, I mean, I think we had to hit a brick wall. Keep in mind that we came up with uh, 
um, with these realizations and started yelling, pretty much yelling at uh, at the industry about them. Um, and I, we 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 do know a lot of the top players in in the industry as far as running the companies um, back in 2014, 2015, and we've seen here in the last what maybe two, three years that some of these risks are starting to be taken again because it has gotten, it has gotten to um, anemic levels of, of the different changes. So things like the half-life Alex was freaking awesome. Mm -hmm. so. I think finding ways to help them de-risk, but, but be able to de-risking things that are higher chance things would really help. I mean, I think of, you know, some of the things that the, you know, um, the indie game community is really taken off on Steam, uh, like games like I just I just lost its name where it's oh, my gosh, I was going to say its name. I had it. It's a little RPG where the, it's a bullet shooter. Hell meets RPG and he's a little heart uh, when he moves around to try and avoid getting killed. I'll, I'll think of it in a little bit. Sure. So we've had seen some indie games do real take risk and be really unique, but they all have like Super Nintendo graphics, things like Shovel Knight, um, for instance. Um, but that's not the game I was originally thinking of. Um, hmm. But um, and but at the same time, they're, they're they can take risks because they're so cheap to make. Um, so you know we need to find ways to make AAA games. You know, um, yeah, to, to to take to take those great concepts with the team that came up with the great concept and get them um, the extra development tools, money, um, teammates that they need. And that's something that we're trying to help uh, bring together here with the Silicon Nexus project is kind of like a. Uh, I can't think of all the three. Is, that, is it a marketplace? Was you, is it part of it as well? Well, our marketplace is kind of a, a small stepping stone towards that, right. but it's, it's more of a marketplace of talents as well. It's like a, a LinkedIn meets uh, DeviantArt meets meets Uber <laughs> that that we're trying to, and that that'll take you know we're 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 piecing it together slowly but surely, and over the next five years we'll we'll end up with a really good uh, uh, developer third party developer set of tools so they can reach out in the community and say okay. Um, our uh, our sound guy just quit because his mom made him. So <laughs> that's happened. <laughs> so right. we need somebody that that you know fits our look and feel and and can carry on where he took off. So let's look out and find a thousand projects real quick and and say, okay, this guy this guy seems to have done something that really fits ours. Is he available and be able to pull him into your project? That's something that um, that's needed now for indie developers, but also the the you know the biggest obstacle as I see is a lot of these really creative projects are so creative and so far out there that people in the industry that that have the money um, can't see the the uniqueness of it yet, so they can't get enough funding to really do a good test market. To show them that you know this thing will go from, you know, you show it to a thousand people, and those thousand people will bring a hundred friends each. Boom! All of a sudden, you have a real market. Net network effect, sure. Yeah, sure. yeah. So you, they, need, they need they need funding. They need access to better tools and better uh, uh, better team, you know, and more team members and that kind of stuff. And that's things that we're trying to bring to the table here with all these different tools. So our marketplace, um, our marketplace is really designed right now for more of the player acquisition engine. But to be able to to trade different um, items back and forth, do you want to see some of that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'd love yeah. To oh, me take a look at it. All right. So this is um, a build that's not out there yet. So can we clip the screen if I get anyway <clears throat> top of the screen so we don't uh, show all of it? Because if I show the screen, it'll, it'll be able to jump in. Uh, not on my end. I won't be able to cl clip the top off. Oh well, then I can't really show it. <laughs> I don't That's think right. here. Let me see if I if I can. I may be able to do that. Um, let me let me see here because I just don't want to show the URL yet because this is a test server. Have I showed showed it live? 
that would be bad. No, it's not going to let me do it. It blocks it out. No, it's no problem. It's not, it's no problem. Yeah. Um, yeah. Transferring because this is, I mean, as far as going back to digital assets real quick, the transfer of digital assets and extracting value from a digital asset is nothing is not new. Like that's, I mean, people, you technically you could trade the asset and then on the black market, uh, although it's illegal and like, you know, obviously Epic with Fortnite trading skins, you're not supposed to do that because kids and gambling, you get into this huge thing with all of that. Uh, but that's another kind of conversation piece on this too. Um, but it doesn't, it just make it more, it's just easier to extract the value that the time and effort I put into that game, whether it's on the casual, I mean, casual gamer side or that, that could turn into a living because it creates that digital economy. Correct. Correct. I mean, uh, we're, that gets more towards the decentralization, decentralization of the organization. And that's one thing that we're, we're pushing towards as well is if you have if you have a centralized organization like you know a major game company um then they're they're bound by a lot of different rules and regulations whereas if you can get it more decentralized um then that doesn't lock it into to what's only good because so and so says so uh, so being able to trade things around in a more of a decentralized world more of a decentralized uh universe is far better and can help um, the players help decide. Um, they kind of right now vote with their money, but they vote with their money because they're conditioned to do so. Um, you know, like with, uh, oh, I'm trying to think of Destiny. Destiny costs $500 million to put out there. It's about 120 to $200 million to build, and the rest of it was in marketing. And everybody voted with their money because the marketing was so good, it made $500 million in 24 hours, in its first 24 hours. Do you know how much it made in its the rest of the year or going out for a full year from there? Less than $400 million in its first year. So in its first year, first 24 hours, it made $500 million and for made less the rest of the year. <laughs> 11, 11 and a half months. It made less than that, but they took that lesson. They learned, they built, they, they uh, added to it and they listened to the community. And once they adapted to what the community wanted, it started growing again. Okay. So that's, that kind of gives you a picture of the power of the marketing and an indie doesn't have that. An indie doesn't have the power of the marketing to hit that huge audience and then actually have it fall, fall, uh, um, you know, have this big spike when it come out and then fall down on its face and then have enough revenue to pick itself back up and go. You know, they have one shot typically. And if it fails, then, you know, they have to go work somewhere else for a long time to build back up to make that second shot to glory kind of thing. Um, and then, yeah. And then an extension of that is, you know, you're if you're a triple AAA game studio, like why does this matter to you? I guess we talked about it a little bit, but why? Does the de like decentralization like why does that help them for the for the digital assets? Well, in the current form and the way that everybody's looking at it, it doesn't. Mm -hmm. what we're doing is um, attacking their bottom line. You know, over half of their budget goes into player acquisition, and if we can have them just give us allow their video game items to be traded on the blockchain outside of their video game with other items, if we can get that to happen, then we can tap into 500 million players every month that trade tickets for prizes that suck. You know, we're talking have their items compete with the Tootsie Rolls that have been there for six months or, <laughs> right. or whatever. Mm -hmm. have, have them compete against the, the vampire teeth or the rubber snake. I mean, if you could have a Fortnite skin, do you play Fortnite, Chris? Not really. Okay. Not a big <laughs> A really cool looking Fortnite skin versus vampire teeth, which one will you take? Knowing that you don't play Fortnite that often. The first. <laughs> you take the Fortnite because you could trade it to somebody that does play it for something that you'd want, right? Right, right. You can't trade the the vampire teeth. Shoot, can you even sell them at a yard sale? Right, exactly. <laughs> maybe, maybe. Younger, that's about it. <laughs> 
And then by getting that, that gets them exposure to 500 million players worldwide every month that they wouldn't have gotten before, that they would have had to pay hundreds of millions of dollars to get to. Unlocks the value of the asset, essentially. Right. I mean, how much does it cost um, World of Warcraft to produce you know, another battle axe. How much does it cost them to produce another mount? Once they built the first one to, to say, make 50 of these is effectively free for them. Mm-hmm. Now to market that cost them on a cell phone, the average marketing cost. For, I mean, think of how many players these games have now with 150 million players, right? Um, it costs $34 and 58 cents, right? Or 84 cents. I think thirty-five dollars and eighty-four cents um, to get your first to get uh, to get every player, each player, to purchase something in your cell phone game. You spend out of your pocket thirty-five dollars and eighty-four cents. So if you multiply that by a hundred million players for easy math. That's right. a lot of money. All right, but right. if you start getting them to trade the items. You'll say, you know, if I found a really cool Fortnite item, awesome Fortnite item, I'm like, well, I've been thinking about that game. I've heard about that game enough. Now that I've got this item that my nephew is really, really jealous over, I'm going to go, sh- I'm going to go rub it in his face in the game. Mm-hmm. And that's going to get me into the game playing. <laughs> gotcha. You know, exactly. Uh, Acquiring potential users that otherwise aren't using it. Because right. of the interoper- interoperability of the asset, and it doesn't cost you. Basically, give that's us, yeah, you know, and that's the deal that we're making with them: is give us the assets, we'll get you the players. Yeah, and it, 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 and being like, yeah, go ahead, but yeah, extracting the value is huge. Go ahead, Jared. Yeah, it just I was just gonna add, like, and you know, and then of course when you have it, so you can trade, so other games might accept that item too. You know, and you get these maybe games partnering together that wanted to partner together sooner. You just build even bigger. You know, you find out that this item that's accepted in Fortnite is also now being accepted in Call of Duty. You know, so you can just, you know, you can really just start, you know, that shit, you know, sometimes cooperation is better than competition. And so you can really just build and build and build that way. Yeah, so also the game's name I was thinking of earlier was Undertale. Okay. So I, I need to get that off my chest. <laughs> no no so. problem. Uh, we do have about six, seven minutes. Uh, I do want to mention, um, have you guys go over what Run for the Unicorns is? Because all that is obviously tied into um, kind of the, the AR, VR, blockchain, IoT space, uh, and kind of what that conference has been about over the past couple of years. And it's coming up end of August, early September. So if you guys, Andrew, want to talk about that? Um, yeah, and actually, now I can skip share my screen. So let me okay. do that here. <laughs> sure. Um, I'll share my screen, go over to. Uh, yeah, once you pull it up, I'll, I'll throw it into the lobby. There we go. All right. All right, and then I'll go over to run. If run will load. Oh, now, now we're having all kinds of fun. There we go. So um, Run for the Unicorns is all about the top technologies converging together, coming together, you know, augmented reality, virtual reality, uh, artificial intelligence, Internet of Things, blockchain, video games, you know, all of that coming together. Um, we, we line it up for Derby Week because it's just a phenomenal week. We're doing a, a, what's turning into actually an eSports event. Friday through Sunday. We're looking to actually have tournaments there for multiple different um, games, um, a hackathon, esports, get large game land party um, Friday through Sunday, August 28th through the 30th. Oh, I'm sorry. What were some of the titles on the potentially for the tournament? Um, Jared? The, do you mean the land party tournament? Yes. The, uh, who, who all's coming? Who all's bringing their, their fun games? You know, I'm looking at getting some call. I definitely want to get some Call of Duty going, and of course Fortnite, just because those are the two biggie, two biggest. Um, 
I also oh, would like to see some like Ethan Legends in that, right? We got some blockchain games. Oh, in here. Yeah, some, our blockchain game partners too. Uh, definitely Ether Legends uh, for sure. Um, and Reality then Clash? I'm also, say again. Reality Clash. Reality Clash, and then Dissolution as well. Awesome. And they're a real cool first-person shooter game. And we're, so. we're still, yeah, we're still working out all the different uh, uh, games that are coming. So that'll be Friday through Sunday. Then we'll have the VIP dinner um, on Monday. And maybe if this thing, we might have the finals of those tournaments on Monday. It depends on how, how it boils out. Then we do uh, Bourbon with Billionaires on Tuesday, which is an all-day networking event. Um, we'll, we'll go, we'll load up on the buses. We'll go to three different uh, distilleries, have lunch in the middle. Um, and that'll be an all-day event. We, that's just been a blast every year. You kind of you kind of load up onto those buses as strangers and you get off as family kind of thing. So it's really good for networking and, and getting to know everybody before the conference. So that way you're you're more in tune to listen to what you know what they're doing and, and uh, what they need. So then the Wednesday and Thursday is the conference. And um, Friday we then turn into more networking where we all go to the Kentucky Oaks together. Friday night we have the Unicorn Ball. And Saturday we go to the Derby. Yeah, it's just weird seeing September in Derby. <laughs> yeah, I'll never, I'll never get, I'll never get used to that. So that's a, just an interesting, you know, time to be part of that. Um, yeah, so it's a, so it's almost like a five, six, seven weekly event um, across different, like I said, fintech, IoT, blockchain. So really interesting. There's a number of speakers. I think there was over twenty speakers last year. That's correct. Uh, yeah, we, we um, I mean, if we go over to our, our, you can actually see the 2018 speakers. We didn't have um, mm -hmm. the videos done correctly um, last year. We're going to correct that this year. But if you just go over to the 2018 presentations, you can kind of walk through, um, well, there we go. You can walk through the whole event and, mm -hmm. and see, you know, the quality that we do. Um, you're pretty much attending the event after the fact, but see how it was there. And we had like, you know, David Bishop, uh, former chief operating officer for Bandai Namco USA for 26 years. Kevin Williams is a huge uh, 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 consultant to Disney and uh, Paramount. And um, I think he's also done for like Facebook and that in AR, VR and out of home entertainment. Um, you know, we, we, we've just had a lot of really good speakers. We had Ron Miners talking about community. He was He's our community director. He was the community director for The Sims. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of VCs that show up. We're looking to really get a lot more of the venture capitalists there, too. Um, but it was really a great, great event. So we look forward to making it better every year. Very cool. Yeah, looking forward to that event. That's coming up end of August, early September. Um, so we're up against the clock, actually. I just want to take a, a minute. Thank everybody for being on LinkedIn, YouTube, and throwing in comments and questions. Thank you all very much. Uh, couple, yeah, just a couple of shout outs again to Carrie, uh, Gianni, David. Thank you all very much for being here. Matthew, thanks for the good questions. Uh, Andrew, Jared, thanks for being here. Really appreciate it. What are some ways to get connected uh, to you guys uh, personally, but then also to uh, Silicon Nexus? Telegram, right, Jared? That's right. We have a... Yeah, Silicon Nexus has a Telegram channel. Also, Run for the Unicorns does as well. So right. both we're, those are excellent ways. And we're currently updating the website right now. You, you can go to SiliconNexus.com, but the one that has all of our all of our social media channels off to the side is Fund.SiliconNexus.com. So you can go there. It'll have a lot of our backstory and all that, but it'll link us up to It'll link you up to our Facebook page, our YouTube channel, our uh, uh, Telegram and Twitter and all of that. What I'll do if you're re-watching this uh, or watching live, obviously, but we'll put that at the very beginning of the stream and also put it in the description on YouTube if you're going to watch the replay just to have all that organized. So, uh, James, what's up, James? James jumped in, jumped in uh, part of the team here. So last year, Run for Unicorn also hosted auditions for Shark Tank Season 11. Something oh yeah, general. we, we would, would have had Shark Tank out here for season twelve had we had the Derby in its normal time, the first Saturday in May. But um, yeah, so Shark Tank was a sponsor. They were a sponsor this year as well. Uh, but 
we they're not doing any open calls in in August and September. You know, they're actually producing or doing the live show or the uh, filming the shows in August and September. So it's kind of hard to uh, do that. They'll start, they'll start up again in January for next season. Um, assuming there is a next season, I'm pretty sure there is. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Well, James, thanks for jumping in, mentioning that. Uh, good to hear from you. Uh, Andrew and Jared, thank you all very much for being here. I really do appreciate it. This will be replayed on all platforms and we'll get the links in there to get connected and appreciate you guys taking the time. Oh, thank you very thank much. You. Chris. It's been, it's been a blast. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. We'll do it again. We'll see everybody soon. And uh, thanks for being here and taking the time. Take care. Bye.